Welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast with me, Kathy Love. I'm a business coach who helps allied health professionals run powerful and profitable businesses in the disability sector. Join me for cutting-edge interviews with leaders in the allied health and business fields, along with plenty of practical content that you can use to make your business practice perfect. Hello, my guest for a bit of a businessy chat this afternoon is Janet Lowndes, the uh, founding director of Mind Body Well. Welcome. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for inviting me to come along. Well, you've got a business story to share, and this is what this conversation's all uh, all about. So, kind of open the doors on Mind Body Well. When, when we open the, get out of the lift and walk in the door, what do we see? Uh, plants is one of the first things that you see. Um, I'm I'm all for uh, light and plants and greenery and actually interestingly that I think that space of what people do see when they first walk in the doors is is very important in um, in any kind of business. So yes, hopefully the first thing people would see is a nice clean, bright, light plant filled space and at least one, possibly two, smiling, helpful um, admin geniuses at the front desk as well so that's kind of the first thing hopefully that people would see and um yeah light and color and people ready to help yeah so who's on your who's on your team hiding behind the the plants and behind all the doors who's who's there with you so um at the front desk there would be um people would find either Matilda or Keely who are our, our admin superstars um, and then in terms of the rest of the team, so I'm sort of director and um, principal psychologist, and then we have Anna, who's our clinical manager. Um, she's a clinical psychologist, and then we have a team of psychologists and dietitians. And so depending on which day of the week it is and who's in the office and who's working remotely and all of these things that are the, <laughs> the, the reality of life now, Um yeah, so we're we're a team of now twelve. Um, I was actually just looking the other day. I think pre-COVID, like back in March last year, I think we were a team of six or seven. Um, so yeah, we've expanded significantly over the last year and continuing to do so. Yeah. Now, listeners may be wondering why would psychologists have dietitians in there as well. So maybe tell us yeah. a little bit about your focus area. The Sure. The name of your business gives a clue, but make it <laughs> it's easy so for funny. Everyone. Yeah, so we're mind body well, and we get so many versions of people find it hard to just say mind body well. We get mind body world. We get mind body. Um, what did I have the other day? Someone kept calling me mind body being. Um, all kinds of things. But anyway, we're mind body well, and the focus is um, really working with people with eating disorders and food and eating concerns. Um, and so because of the food and eating area, then when I first started out and was working as a sole practitioner, I used to refer out to dietitians all of the time. I think um, there's a real scope of practice issue. I'm really respectful of that scope of practice. And I think that the psychologists, when they're working with people around food and eating issues, what they risk, given it's not our area of um, of formal education, they risk talking to people around food just based on their own eating patterns or what they read in a magazine. 
Um, so I've been really conscious from the start about involving qualified dietetics, um, people who have a whole university degree in understanding nutrition and um, the kind of therapeutic way of working with people around food. Um, so yeah, I used to refer out to dietitians and then gradually decided that it made more sense to actually work more closely in an interdisciplinary way, um, as opposed to the kind of multidisciplinary, I think that that often happens in the private um, service sector. It's much more keen to work in that interdisciplinary, collaborative, um, mutually supportive way for the benefit of us as therapists and also for the clients. Absolutely. There's something to be said for being under one roof. Mm, mm, absolutely. And, you know, all those benefits of shared um, treatment planning and, mm. yeah, the client's really feeling supported. Um, clients really like that, actually, as a point of difference too. Um, we get a lot of positive feedback from clients about being able to see both a psychologist and dietitian in the same practice. Yeah. So I heard that you started your business adventure as a um, sole trader, sole practitioner, and in the last 12 mm -hmm. months, you've kind of expanded. Mm -hmm. Where did your business start? Mm. Way back when? Yeah, way back, way back. Um, well, for a long time, I, I sort of had a private practice of some form, really, even from early in my career. And I was, you know, I'd have my secure um, salaried job somewhere else and then my private practice on the side for a, a, a quite a long time. The side hustle. The side hustle and those ridiculous long hours that I used to do when I was young. Um, and so I did that for a long time and then probably went into full-time private practice um, maybe 20 years ago actually now but gosh that sounds like a long time okay um, we won't edit that out but yeah, no, we'll move on that quickly that, yeah <laughs> and then worked really as a sole trader for a, a long time and then when I moved into the building we're in now in Stanhill in just off St Kilda Road I moved in there and got some um I had a three consulting room office and my first goal was to bring in subcontractors and so I brought in a couple of people who I worked, you know, really in a collaborative way with. Um, but actually, no, even before subcontractors, I had some people just renting the rooms from me. So we would sort of cross-refer. And so I sort of kind of started that way. And at first, that's probably what I thought I would do, just have a shared space, a bit of a hub with like-minded practitioners. Mm. Um, and then I moved to the subcontractor model of having a couple of people come on as subcontractors. And then it's probably about three years ago that I transitioned. I sort of went from being Janet Lowndes to Janet Lowndes and Associates in the subcontracting model and then changed to mind, body, well to sort of recognise that it was less about me and more about a team of people, mm -hmm. um, and then moved to an employment model probably two and a half years ago now, maybe close to three, which brought with it all the chaos and upheaval. All that, of the fun and opportunity. Oh, it, well, it was and exactly. And chaos and upheaval. Uh, it, all of that, all the tears and um, a, the complete stuff, um, change so basically all the subcontractors didn't want to become employees so there was a whole period of like oh, what have I done um but now a few years down the track it's the best thing I could have done and now in terms of the kind of team and culture and um connection that we have it's yeah proved to be the exactly the right thing to do oh I hear that 
a lot that for team mm-hmm. and culture and just that vibe in the corridors and mm-hmm. yeah oh good move good move yeah. so what take us back to that moment when you realized that the business was more than Janet Lowndes and that you needed to kind of give it a name and give it its own entity what was running mm-hmm. through your mind then I think in the beginning I really just was feeling uncomfortable about the ego of it. It was like <laughs> I recognised that I kind of had needed to trade off my name because I had a lot of people who referred to me in the eating disorder field and so I kind of wanted to use that realistically to support the subcontractors coming in. So the referrals would come to me and then I would um, share them with the team. But then I just started feeling really squirmy about my having my name on the door when there were other people in the team doing marvellous work. And um, so, yeah, it was. I actually just progressively was feeling uncomfortable about it being my actual name. Um, so it's probably not, it wasn't actually strategic, to be honest, in the beginning. Um, in hindsight, it was exactly the right thing to do for just loads of reasons about mm-hmm. sharing the load and and making a very clear statement that um, we are a group of skilled practitioners yeah. um, and that there are, you know, everyone on the team is equally capable of working with our client group. And differently capable as well. There are mm. just that range of talents. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. But it, it really, it wasn't... <laughs> a strategic business choice it was really more that I just felt very uncomfortable about it sounding like it was just mostly me um and really as the team has grown of course I'm also trying for it to be less about me um as I learn really how to delegate and share the load and um uh differentiate what it is that I do compared to what some other people in the team can do um yeah so It started as a kind of name change, but then it really, it was about a whole identity change and a whole system of working change as well. Yeah. Yep. Good, good move commercially long-term as well, that it has its own life and stands aside from, from you and whoever else may own it or contribute to it or partner in it or have a stake in it kind of down the, down the track. Yep. Why, why did you choose the name? What's, What was the story and thinking there? Well, I worked as a psychologist until I was about 30 and then I completely burned out and ran away to India to study yoga. Actually, before I did that in my burned out state, I worked as a barista in uh, St Kilda. Yep. That makes complete sense. So much fun. So much free therapy that people got with their coffee, realistically. (sighs) (laughs) I was still finding it hard to let go of being a therapist. But but that was great fun and really good for my um, overdeveloped sense of responsibility to actually Mm -hmm. step back for a little while, have a bit of a sabbatical from therapy, think about what I really wanted to do because I was really very burned out at that point. And then I went to India to study yoga and was when I went to India, I was determined I would never be a psychologist again. I was done. I thought that um, it just wasn't for me, basically. Uh, and then when I was in, in India, I studied at an ashram in the south, just outside Bangalore, called the Swami Vivekananda 
I want it's, it's this family view kind of community. And while I was there, I, they have a real mental health focus, and I met these psychiatrists and psychologists and mental health practitioners living and working. Of course, he did. Like. Of course, <laughs> right? Yeah, as part of the ashram community, and that that ashram they have a whole um, they have a hospital as part of it, which wow. is a very yeah, it's an amazing, amazing place. So in the hospital, they have a very big mental health ward in the hospital. And so because I was meeting all these mental health practitioners and and sort of listening to them talk about doing therapy kind of differently, um, very much about the mind-body sort of, you know, how yeah. we can help people develop more of a sense of well-being and connection with their bodies. Um, then when I came back to Australia and I'd already been working with people with eating disorders just I used to work mostly with adolescents and it just kind of came with the territory um, and my interest in eating disorders came from what I was learning from clients and then in the ashram really focusing on this mind-body connection um, then when I came back and really thought about what I wanted to do that mind-body well and the well-being the well-being kind of part it sort of um, yeah was sort of rattling around in my head until I got to the point of being ready for a business name and it just seemed appropriate really totally perfect on the back of that story yeah yeah so it wasn't just a, I didn't just google words and see uh you know search terms or anything like that um it, it's a name that actually has a sense of identity for me about what we do and really helping people develop more well-being in their mind-body relationship what you brought to mind for me is a couple of things the importance of uh, kind of using and sharing your business story because there's nearly always a story behind the name, nearly always, nearly always, very unusual if there isn't. But it's – so thank you for, for sharing for sharing that. The other part is it's, 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 it's just such a lovely illustration of how personal and business are just so – elegantly maybe mm. messily um if that's a word <laughs> entangled hey and that you can you can really you've got to be quite conscious to pull the personal out of a business um mm. especially with the work that you that you do and as the business mm. develops you know personally you need to be developing a little further uh, ahead what are your kind of I know you think about this what what would you like to share do you mean about my development or about? Well, just this relationship of personal development and business development. Hmm. Yeah, look, it's it's interesting because I, if you had have asked me 10 years ago whether I thought I'd be at this point in my life getting really excited about being a, an entrepreneur and kind of um, seeing myself as someone who's really excited about business and who now the books, I used to read books that were all about yoga and you know, spiritual poetry and all kinds of things and occasionally the odd psychology book. And now I'm reading all these business systems books, mostly thanks to you, Kathy. <laughs> but, you know, it's, I'm, I'm excited. I'm surprised that I'm excited actually about this stuff. But to me, I think the whole, um, you know, how I can bring those things that actually have meaning to me, like, the, you know, still operating from a place of integrity and, um, you know, holding very, a strong sense of values and purpose for doing the work, but um, not being afraid to say, well, yeah, but you know, I'm building something that is making a big difference in a lot of people's lives and I want to do that as well as possible for me and for all of the staff and for all the clients, the clients. that we see as well. Yeah. 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 
how I really want to ask about what you're reading, but I'll be patient. Um, I think I might know. Um, how do you share that with your team? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I remember this back when I was a yoga teacher and um, my students used to laugh at me and say, oh, we can always tell when you're, you've been to a course or you're reading something and then you come in and you try it out on us and, um, you know, you, it's they can always tell. And I think my um, team, it's probably the same thing. Um, <laughs> so I'll tell you now, the book that I'm currently reading is called Systemology. Oh, there you um, go. On, on your recommendation. And in the, the team that were laughing at our team meeting last week saying they feel like I'm going to systematise everything from the, the way the tea supplies are coordinated in the kitchen, which is quite possible, um, to all of our policies. Start with the important stuff. That's right. It's very important. We have a very big tea collection. That's another thing you'd notice in our office. Um, yeah, I think I share it with the team. If I'm not careful, realistically, I share it a little bit too quickly and when mm. I haven't necessarily really thought it through. And um, I am actually have really noticed that about just recently. If you, You've seen this in me, Kathy, in a meeting where I, once I get an idea and I get excited about it, I kind of want it to happen now. And I sometimes have to remember to slow down, pull back mm. and not leave people behind um, in in that process of being excited about wanting things to change. Mm. How, um, yeah, I sort of call that um, the whirlwind, the business owner whirlwind, where you just land and spin it all up and everyone just falls out the sides. And, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, good um, Good practice to have is is to sort of organise your own thoughts and your own thinking and your own approach and then kind of bring people along with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So your your team are, are wonderful um, yeah. and they identify with your purpose and, and values. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about the retreat that you all went on at the start of the year. Yeah, that was so just um, wonderful and we'll probably do it again in January next year so yeah it was recognizing um, traditionally we've always done this that we don't have a Christmas party we have a party in January for um, after Christmas and after yeah. the dust is settled we'd always have our celebration then so that's where the thinking started we we're thinking okay what are we going to do for our January party it's been a hell of a year last year with most of our staff, we actually stayed working remotely and stayed doing telehealth only for a lot longer than the lockdown periods in Melbourne. Um, so I was very conscious that people really wanted to come together and I really wanted to thank and celebrate the team. Um, and we, I also really wanted to do some strategic planning work and really work on our, our mission and values. So I decided to put all of that together and hired this glorious amazing house in Dalesford um, with enough room for everybody to have their own bedroom which was a bit of a treat a couple of shares actually but it was this massive mm. just the house was blew my mind so I hired this house and um, we went we arrived on the Friday and then Friday night was just relaxed you know pizzas dinner um, have a nice catch up with everyone and then Saturday we had someone come in ex- from external and um, go through a strategic planning process with us which was fantastic then the Saturday night my husband's a chef so he took the weekend off and came over and cooked for us all weekend which was pretty nice uh, so we had a big dinner celebration on the Saturday night and then the Sunday we had a little bit of sort of team 
a short meeting in the morning and then people had the afternoon free to do whatever they wanted. Uh, and then we, some people left on the Sunday, it was up to them, or they could stay on for the Sunday night for just another relaxed night together. So, yeah, it was a really, really, really lovely time. And it mm. just ticked so many boxes. We came away with a fantastic strategic plan. Um, but even more than that, I feel mm. like the community and the connections and the support and um, the ideas and the conversations that came from that, um, yeah, was just wonderful and I feel like we just achieved in two days what might have taken six months of kind yeah. of one hour meetings um, mm. and the team culture just um, yeah I, yeah just it's a really wonderful team culture I feel like my team really support and value each other um, and I think that event was a big part of it actually. Mm. Mm. And hopefully, I think, and I, I do know because they've told me this, I know it also helped them recognise how much I value them because it was a fairly significant financial investment. Um, I didn't cut corners. And, um, yeah, I think there was a real statement in that as well, which was I was very deliberate about as well. Mm. So how are your team tracking now across 2021 in the Melbourne context? Mm. I. Um, well, it's been, I think anyone in the health sector, you know, especially in Melbourne, recognises what a, um, I, don't even, I don't even have the words for it. I yeah, feel like what. Probably, what, yep, we might have to beat them a, out if, yeah. Yeah, if I say them, yeah, just what a hell of a like 16, 18 months it's been, right? Mm. But I think um, in the eating disorders field, I mean, the demand and the need in the eating disorders field has just um, increased exponentially. Yeah. And I think there's been a lot of people for whom, in terms of clients, a lot of people who've had very subclinical eating issues that with you add in the ingredients of isolation and um, feeling a no sense of control in their lives and, um, you know, uh, no joy, no fun, mm. um, then the, the eating disorders that have been just waiting to come to the surface kind of all came to the surface at once. So the whole service sector is completely overwhelmed um, and it's very, there's long waiting lists or closed waiting lists in most services, public and private, in the eating disorders field. So I feel like for our team, um, I mean, they're tired realistically. Mm. They're, they're tired and amazing and I'm really doing a lot of thinking now about, okay, am I looking after everyone and, it, does anything need to change? Um, I do a lot of checking in with people regularly about how they're doing. And, you know, um, we also have a lot of uh, supports built in. Every time we go into lockdown, we have a Friday afternoon Zoom chat and um, we do show and tell and all kinds of other fun things when mm. we're in um, those lockdown periods to stay connected. But that's kind of a long answer because I don't know what the short answer is, I think, because I think... yeah. It's mixed in the team about how people are coping and it's mixed and variable. And um, thankfully, we haven't had a time where everyone's been in a bad place at once, um, mm. but we've definitely shared it around. Um, yeah. And I think just like everyone, just so hopeful that um, we can start really coming out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think the tolerance level for more lockdowns is pretty low, even though... Yeah. That's um, by far definitely not anti-lockdown, but it's just been exhausting. Enough, enough mm. already. 
When was the last time you invested in your non-clinical staff? You know, reputation is everything. And when staff feel under pressure, undervalued or underskilled, service drops, teamwork stops and your business loses money. Contact Lightbulb Training Solutions today for a free customer service analysis so you can create and maintain a remarkable reputation for your business. Lightbulbtraining.com.au Often when I speak uh, with a Melbourne business owner, it will start with, can you believe the sun is out? <laughs> and that's like our first win for the day. But come on, climate, just support us through what are we on Monday? Yeah. yeah. And that's the other thing, isn't it? What day is it? You know, where, where am I today? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, goodness. So team are, are kind of motoring along but very mindful of their wellness and their mm. energy and, and mm. the likes um, as well. How do you manage your energy as a, as a business owner? Um, I think that's, that's a work in progress. You know, I'm, um, you know, sometimes I do better at that than others. Uh, I'm pretty good this week because I took last week away from um, direct client work and, and had a, management week and I'm now trying to do that I was doing it once every three months I think I'm now deciding I'll do it once every two months or maybe even once a month um that Mm. because I do still have a clinical load um I do find that I need to have periods right away from that so I can zoom out and do some of the big picture thinking and the more strategic macro kind of thinking um and it's really energizing when I do. I had so much fun last week, just kind of, you know, thinking about big picture things and ticking things off the list. Those kind of things that yeah. need your full attention to do. Really, again, it surprised me how much I enjoyed it. Actually, <laughs> maybe there's something in between. You do your big week quarterly, but you may be able to do a Friday, Monday, or something in between, just to because what what mm. I'm hearing you say is that momentum that you you it's high impact and you get things done but it also just keeps that momentum going as well yeah that's true yeah it's a good way to think about it I think better for me even than a Friday Monday would be a Monday Tuesday because it's yeah get yeah get into it really yeah yeah. A lot of business owners uh, just feel really a little uncomfortable or a little reluctant to take that time on the business uh, and to really kind of fly the drone over it. Um, how does it support you kind of get the next 11 weeks done? Um, well, it does it, it does re-energise, especially usually mm. I do it away from home. So I'll book into an um, apartment or something and be in a different environment. Of course, I couldn't last week because we were still um, – I think we were still in lockdown last week. Yeah, yeah who would know? Uh, whatever. It, yeah, it's either mask on or mask off. What they call exactly, it yeah. doesn't really sure, doesn't matter. Sure we were. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it supports me. Well, firstly, it lets me tick off the list mm. a lot of the things that are sort of hanging over my shoulder that I'm feeling that oh, I really should get to that sort of feeling. So it helps me feel productive, and I also um, I was sharing this with one of our admin staff this week that. Sometimes I, I've got a to-do list and then I, but I end up doing some things that weren't on my to-do list. So I always then add them to the do, to, to-do list so I can then tick them off. Oh, just so I can, you are not alone. It's one of my favourite things. 
great. I feel so much better. Thank you. (laughs) They were laughing at me. And I know it makes me feel so much more um, effective because, of course, Mm. I I set out to do X and then end up rewriting pages of the website instead, you know. But that's still important. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Subtask. Just forgot to write it down. Yeah. (laughs) So it helps you kind of stay focused in the – in the weeks and weeks afterwards? Definitely. It helps me stay focused, helps me um, feel effective um, and it helps me. I also, you know, just do a lot more conscious self-care in those periods yeah. as well. I spend a bit more time in the morning on the yoga mat. I spend, you know, a bit more time just um, gazing out the window while I'm having a cup of tea. Um, so that deliberate slowing down in those periods is really is good as well. Mm, yeah my favorite hobby is watching the clouds and Mm. um, I live in a beautiful natural environment where I get to see the clouds pretty much do a good good 180 if I so choose to watch them for long enough so um, you lay on the back on the grass and watch sometimes yep sometimes I shoo the rabbits off and uh, have my turn have my turn (laughs) have my turn (laughs) so what what have you learnt what has the business taught you? Um, it's taught me that I'm a lot more capable than I thought I was. Um, like I said, if you'd asked me 10 years ago whether I'd be doing this or whether I'd be capable mm-hmm. of doing this, I wouldn't have imagined it possible. So, yeah, it's taught me that I am capable and adaptable. Um, it's taught me that I can get excited about books about business management, which really is when I thought who would have thunk it way back in my undergraduate degree when I was doing my arts degree I um, had a sub major and I started with a sub major in economics because I thought Mm. well I thought it'd be a good idea to have some business in there Um, and I failed first year economics and you know it it, I think that's because I was busy getting a degree and playing pool and drinking beer but anyway I did very well at that subject um but economics I just just didn't thrive and so I told myself that i that meant I'm I'm really bad at business and that I shouldn't I shouldn't focus on business um wow gee those yeah. beliefs gee they can run amok can't they uh-huh yeah well it turned out I was completely wrong so um yeah it's taught me that I can um learn new things and think very differently and um, that I can apply, you know, it's interesting because I think there's a lot as a business owner that I've kind of translated from individual therapy, actually, um, that from being in the room with an individual client to taking care of um, and managing a group of staff, there are some kind of transferable skills in that. And I guess yeah. the communication skills that you learn as a therapist um, come in extremely handy as a, mm. as a business owner as well. Mm. Anything else that you've learned? Um, oh, well, I'm learning how to read spreadsheets and Woo-hoo. manage money. Happy <laughs> um, days. Yeah, happy days. And, you know, and again, I say that because I also had another belief when I was younger that I was really bad at numbers um, and that I just struggled to understand numbers. And I, I would still say I have to slow down and be very deliberate about numbers. It's not my natural language. Mm. Um, but I've learned that. No, I actually can. Yes, I actually can um, manage money and and figure out numbers as well. Yeah, look for the story and the patterns and the discrepancies and kind of know where to ask 
It's often that we just don't have the formula or the we don't know what to ask that mm-hmm. kind of just we can just write the whole subject off a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what to ask and I didn't even know what I was looking at, I think, when I used mm-hmm. to look at a spreadsheet. Um, yeah, so I've learned a lot about that. I think, you know, I've also learned that um, I'm learning, this is a work in progress, that I don't have to do everything myself. tell us more (laughs) yeah well I think that kind of independent capable me if I'm not careful um, doesn't delegate enough which I'm also learning is not good for me nor my staff like I'm really trying to keep an eye on making sure I'm delegating properly not half delegating and micromanaging Um, so yeah, also learning what to let go of and how to let go of it. and But also in that, the other part that I'm really still working on is when I let something go and delegate it, um, really clearly communicating, what, communicating to the person I'm delegating it to yeah. what my expectations are um, so that people don't feel set up or confused by the, the task. Yeah, the delegation piece, you know, it's, it's exciting, but so often the training before the delegating sometimes can be a little light or a little missed. So that sort of train and communicate and delegate and mm-hmm. then they're responsible, but you hold them accountable Yeah, as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do it all. What else have you kind of been delegating of late? Um, oh, I've delegated a lot by now having a clinical manager who's really responsible for um, mm. the direct clinical supervision of um, of our therapy team. So that's great. I'm getting ready to be probably hiring another person in a more senior admin role, more practice management kind of role. So I'm also trying to figure out what aspects of that I can delegate and hand off. Um, it's, I feel like there, you know, when you ask the question, what have you learned, most of it feels still very active. I am learning on my feet every day um, how to do this. <laughs> I think that's um, fantastic and how it should be. Imagine if you weren't. Yeah, okay. That's true. Yeah. If it had all ground to a halt, that would be a bit of a sad day. Well, then it would probably be time to do something else, I guess. Yeah, back to me. the barista. Yeah, <laughs> not so bad. I can still make a really good coffee. So it's a life skill that served me well. I was listening. <laughs> let's digress. Um, I was listening to a conversation on the radio last Friday evening, and this will come as no surprise, but the Australian Olympic team in Tokyo have their own barista. Nice job if they you can get it. Right. Of course they do. Yeah. So there was an Aussie coffee coffee pro living in Tokyo and he sort of said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds like a bit of fun. And the interviewer asked him, um, oh, are you starstruck by all of the athletes? And he said, they're humans first, you know, they're coffee drinkers second. I actually don't know who they are, you know. <laughs> they're either a almond flat white and kind of in a rush or they're not. And I just thought that was glorious. Just I love glorious. that. Of course, the Australian team have their own barista, but then, you know, we're all just humans and drinking coffee mm-hmm. at seven in the morning. Mm-hmm. There you go. And I think in, uh, you know, in lockdown where the barista was probably one of the few people that um, a lot of people got to see in their day, 
I, I feel like the Brewster's become more famous than many other people. <laughs> oh, couldn't couldn't agree. I just <laughs> have to park the car and mine my brews are underway before I even um, scan my QR code. So nice. Um, nice. all good. So you certainly do not have to do it all, and you know, business should be teaching you something every every day. I reckon. Yeah. Well, that's good because I definitely feel like that. Um, you know, sometimes too many lessons at once. That'd be good if yeah. they'd slow down a little bit. Um, especially, you know, March last year, when I think back to March last year, I still get goosebumps. Like, how oh, did that even happen? Oh, and how did we adjust and adapt as quickly as we did? That that's probably of course uh, this would be true for most people, but in terms of mm. steep learning curves and but also what the period of my life that I've probably grown the most and got the most out of would have been that period. Yeah. Yeah. That um that uh, saying about um creating diamonds under pressure, I think really, really rang true. And those that were um quietly organized and calmly confident and decisive really navigated 2020 um in the best possible ways that they were just sure of the decisions they were making and they brought everyone along with them. Um whether it was team and and clients. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, some of the words that I kind of hear around that is that it's, you know, one of the best, worst things that ever happened and it's ultimately been very strengthening and it, it, it also accelerated a lot of business owners to shift from clinician to, you know, mm. owner and CEO-type roles pretty swiftly as well because you yeah, if you think back to March, April, May, yeah, for those more significant and sizable businesses, you just couldn't really add on, you know, pandemic boss as well to all of the roles. Mm, yeah. And I think, you know, what you said about being decisive, that I probably until that time was a less confident and less decisive leader. Um, and then, of course, so many things just had to be sorted out very quickly. Yeah. And um, that really encouraged me to just step into it, really. Yeah, and step step up and, and roll with it. Mm. What can you tell us about the next 12 months for Mind Body Well? Without all, um, all of the trade secrets, what do you, what do you <laughs> think it's going to look like? Well, we're, yeah, we're kind of in a growth cycle now, hoping to increase our team, bring on some more fabulous practitioners. Um, and we're also looking at, you know, different models, as I'm sure all of our Friends who hear this will be recognising trying to hire health professionals at the moment is tricky. It's a, um, There's so much demand, I think, especially in mental health. Well, I'm saying especially in mental health, that's what I know the most about, but um, seems like in the mental health sector there's just so much demand. There's been more funding in public services, thankfully. Um, and so those public services are it's very interesting because they can often pay very highly um, but, of course, the conditions in working in some of those public jobs can be um, pretty tough as a result mm. as well. So uh, salary-wise? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're really looking to grow but having to probably be fairly adaptive in how we think about our growth mm. and who our um, the, the next round of ideal employees might be um, and that maybe we might need to probably invest a little bit more time and energy than we've needed to do in the people that have come on board um, up until now um, that we probably will we'll look at bringing in being prepared to bring in more junior practitioners and really supporting them to skill um, especially in 
you know, the, the focused area like eating disorders, it's really not everyone comes ready to go in terms of the level of training and understanding of eating disorder therapy. Um, but now we've got a great team of people who we can really provide a lot of that training and support in-house. Mm. So we're really looking at that. We're also looking at um, some satellites, at least one satellite office out in regional Victoria, possibly two. Um, the I've started putting feelers out about that. The biggest dependent factor is staffing. So, mm. um, but that's that's the plan, um, you know, to kind of reach out a little. We have a lot of clients who we see um, from the regional areas of Victoria. And while on one hand you could say, well, it's a lot of them are doing telehealth now. Why do you need to be anywhere else? On the flip side, I think having a um, a presence and a visible presence in the community is really helpful, especially for the referrers, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. And are you going to keep your clinical load, do you think? Oh, look, I, I juggle about this all the time. Like I sometimes I think like last week, you know, when I was not doing any clinical work, then I think, oh, maybe I should uh, just maybe it's, it's time to let go of the clinical work. Um, but then I sit with my clients and just, you know, love it. And I don't think at this point I want to let it go, but I'm definitely, I have reduced it quite significantly. It probably still needs to reduce just a little bit further. Um, but I don't really want to let it go. Um, I feel like the holding on to that, it, it keeps me so connected in many ways to the issues that the team are dealing with. Um, and it also keeps me connected to the issues that our client group um, are dealing with. Um, yeah. So I don't think I'll let it go at this point. Yeah. 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 It raises that question about, well, who do you need in the team doing what for the business to continue to expand and be successful and enabling you to have time across your week or fortnight to have that clinical place of joy as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And that other another learning is that I have to keep reminding myself that it doesn't all have to be me. So, yes, there's more energy needed in HR at the moment is mm. something I'm recognising we need more focus on. But that doesn't mean that has to be me. So, yeah, looking at the, um, the mix, the team mix, professional mix, is, it's an ongoing yeah. exploration. Yeah, and who does what? Yeah. Oh, so, so, so exciting. Yeah. So what kind of um, sort of, you know, words of wisdom would you like to kind of leave in the listeners' ears about the business adventure or any other venture or any other topic? We could talk about coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, coffee, the main thing I'd say about coffee is make sure you get beans that actually match the type of milk you're using. Anyway, oh my gosh, that is yeah. a whole new topic. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Go to your local yeah, coffee roaster and ask them, like, if you're a soy milk drinker, there's certain beans that go better with soy milk. No anyway, way. So you didn't expect me to answer that no, question. I, so yeah. I, I, I opened the door and <laughs> I got what I full deserved on that one. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> so um, what, what are your kind of parting thoughts here for business owners? I think there's something that... Um, Someone said to me recently, and I've heard this a number of times before, when people say, oh, you're so lucky to own your own business. You're so lucky oh, to work for yourself. Lucky. Yeah, lucky. Let's right? do lucky. Yeah. Let's do lucky. Like, uh, you know, and I often think lucky sounds like you just were walking along the street and you found it on the side of the road and went, oh, this looks, maybe I'll take this with me. And, and um, 
yeah, <laughs> I think it, it's probably the way, one of the ways to annoy me the most quickly is to tell me that I'm lucky. I think I've had a lot of good fortune in my life and I'm really grateful for, um, you know, having um, a lot of things in my life that have enabled me to have the education I have and the opportunities I have and the security and stability that I've had to enable me to take some risks and things like that. So I feel a very, there's a good fortune but that that's extremely different to luck. So I guess my, in terms of parting kind of words, it would be about really, you know, yes, it's great to be really gratitude, to have gratitude and to be really grateful mm-hmm. for the um, the privilege and fortune, good fortune and opportunities that we've, that I've had and probably many other people have had that have enabled them to create the businesses that, that we have, but to recognise that, it's all the personal drive and commitment and the blood, sweat and tears um, that have enabled us to create that into being what it is. So I feel like it's that balance for me of um, the gratitude for the good fortune, but also being able to acknowledge that, yeah, but I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing the work that is creating something out of those ingredients I couldn't agree more that um, luck doesn't just happen. Mm. Yeah. All righty. Thank you so much for sharing your business adventure to date. Yeah, thanks, Kathy. Thanks for, for, um, yeah, the opportunity. It's fun to talk about these things. (laughs) I'm going to ask my barista tomorrow about the coffee bean thing, so just don't think I didn't hear that. Okay. Yeah, see what they say. Um, My my favourite coffee roaster in Melbourne is St Ali Coffee. Oh. Um, Yeah. So good, right? And they they have you know very different um, mm. varieties that they say you know well when you're asking about which beans they say well what what milk do you use or and then they'll suggest the beans just like if you're choosing a bottle of wine right mm. it's useful to know what you're having for dinner right are you having you know is it vegetarian are you having red meat it's like then you choose your wine to go with that. I will report back to you about my <laughs> options and I may just jump in the car and head to South Melbourne on the weekend for a professional opinion. Absolutely. It's also no coincidence that as an eating disorder therapist, I'm very interested in food and coffee and wine. <laughs> it's like, this is part of the, you know, continuing to have a good relationship with these things that bring us so much joy as well. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit practicemadeperfectpodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes and continue your business adventure with me. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Private Practice Made Perfect podcast is brought to you by Experts on Air Podcast Network.